suffering, stress, dysfunction, this feeling of being a bit burdened, the hindrances, and uh, also the joy that comes from when the mind is free from that. So even to recognize and be able to name these hindrances is, is considered a considerable advantage because, uh, you know, for a person who doesn't cultivate, doesn't think they've got any hindrances, the problem is everybody else. <laughs> I'm not angry, it's just a lot of irritating people. <laughs> so once you start to own your... The, your own potential for ill will. This is considered a, a considerable um, blessing because <laughs> you're much less likely then to dump it on other people or to create act, you know, in accordance with. It. If you've got somewhere checking hey, what, what I'm saying or doing, you know, that's uh, you know. So it's nothing to get really. You have to do that. You know, hindrances are considered absolutely, you know, the high street of Dharma practice, you know, it's not some nasty little back alley, this is, this is um, high street stuff, and this is the first set of traffic lights. <laughs> and uh, the uh, hindrances are a kind of, the traffic lights, the hindrances, is when you, is that the passing, getting past the hindrances is called samadhi. So that the, the, the waning of the hindrances runs in line with the with the arising of of the factors of samadhi, concentration, and just uh, by concentration we don't mean an act of the will whereby you hold your mind onto something. Concentration means your 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 mind is gathered together happily, and uh, the basis of concentration is. The body feels relaxed and bright, therefore the mind comes to rest in it. So when one's body is relaxed, one's mind is happy. When one's mind is happy, it comes to rest. This is what we mean by concentration. It, it, there's a certain, almost a gravitational pull that occurs when the body feels relaxed and steady and bright naturally attracts the mind, the mind is drawn in, it sit, settles down, it doesn't want to keep running out looking for things. It's, and there's an energetic effect, is what happens. And what happens is the mind's fidgety, fractious, tight, contracted, dull, sluggish, hungry, racing around, is, you know, all that is, it takes energy, you know. And all that energy is, is given something nice to feed on, which is the energy of the body. So it, it calms, steadies the mind. The mind comes into what's called samadhi, or unification. Accompanied by uplift, or rapture, you feel bright and eased. You feel relaxed. So if those factors are the gateway to concentration, it's not holding your mind down. It's making it feel so bright that it doesn't want to go anywhere else. For this you have to find it, give it a place to settle. This is why we practice mindfulness of the body. So that the mind has got a place where it can it can rest. And this isn't a particular physical place in the body, it's the energetic 
place in the body. So, so that the although hindrances often take or produce a num- huge numbers of topics, you know, external topics and internal topics. That is, I'm irritated by this person or this event or this phenomenon or I'm craving for this desirable object you know or I'm, I'm irritated with myself for being so stupid and thick and irritable I'm irritated by being irritable so you know either go, you either interject which means you put it all inside or you project which means you throw it all outside you don't do this deliberately it's just that's the way it goes the mind is confused energetically confused it doesn't know what to do with this kind of jangle. So it, first of all, it throws it out, and it throws it back, uh, and it does this, you know, and all that agitation. You know. Or it just sinks down. You know, so it sinks down in a kind of uh, a numb state. Can't actually, so it it can't support itself. It's uh, something that's been fed by a lot of adrenaline or a lot of stimulation. When that's removed, it just kind of collapses. So the first ways in which we normally experience the hindrances are not necessarily in terms of the five, which have got particular topics in them, but energetically. Most everybody, as they meditate, will have this time when they just feel, whoa, you know, suddenly the floor disappears and you sink. Or the mind is just running around like a moth around a candle, just scrambling, and scrambling, restless, can't settle down anywhere. Just this, that, this, that, this, that. So you get these two forms: hyper, which means it's over aroused; the hypo, which means it's under, under aroused. These are energetic imbalances, and around those energetic imbalances, these other topics start to crystallize. Yeah, you know that is one's. Uh, you know, the, the, so the, the the low stuff tends towards dullness. It's called tina media, or as a dullness, which is much actually it becomes not just a physical fatigue, but a kind of uh, a, a, a dumbness of mind. One one's intelligence goes. You, know, you can't. One's initiative disappears. You become very uh, uh, stagnant. So often with dullness, the, it's, in some ways it's relatively easy to dispel. All you really have to do is open your eyes, breathe in, breathe out, sit up straight. But you're so dull that, that you don't want to do that. You know, or even stand up, walk up and down. But the willingness of the mind is, is uh, submerged. One doesn't feel willing and eager don't have initiatives, so he's going to sit there and sometimes don't even really acknowledge that it's dull because we have this idea that meditation is about being tranquil and calm um, but the car, but so this is, this is a fatal piece of mythology you know, because if you just believe in that, the tendency is to, is to support dullness and suppress things so he's going to go duller and duller mm. Mm. 
when you get uh, the, the more agitated forms tend towards either uh, as a kind of restlessness which, which becomes worry worry and flurry is, is the uh, fourth hindrance which means that the mind picks something up and it won't put it like a terrier with a rat it just goes on and on and on and it chews it this way, chews it that way and it puts it down, it picks it up and chews it again and throws it around, flicks it around and it won't, won't it neither swallows it nor spits it out it just keeps chewing restless, 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 restless worry, anxiety should I do this, should I do that is it like this, is it like that what if it's this, what if it's that so this continual an energy that continually activates and never finds any resolution this is restlessness, it's an energy that continually keeps activating the mind doesn't find any resolution and just keeps activating it some more you know, feeling that there's this kind of underlying sense in which you sense if you, you could actually get it if you got restless enough but it never does and along with so, and then occasionally the mind will just seize upon some kind of um, topic in order to to unify. So we unify around something that's really bothered me today. Suddenly this becomes luminous, you know, crystal clear, and it's there. And you're going to can rerun the story of that. If you can't find it today, it's yesterday. There's a day before yesterday. There's a whole of your life, you know, and the one topic in there, the mind seeks unity by just grabbing hold of this topic, and you know, producing ill will. The ill will actually has something for the mind to hold on to, and the ill will may be towards other persons or towards oneself. Or you may f- experience yourself as being the recipient of ill will. So sometimes you have these tribunals going on in the mind where you're justifying, you know, I did this and they never listened and I always did that and they weren't and I wasn't treated properly and so forth. Or you can have the, the other way around, you're no longer in the dock, you're the judge and she's like this and she's never like that and I told her like this and never like that, and, you know. So these, these kind of things go on. Or you can have this inner tyrant going on in your mind which is when the, you, you actually keep haranguing yourself. This is all the forms of ill will. And um, <clears throat> it never actually, it never finally executes. You think we you could just execute somebody and get it over with. But it doesn't, because it needs to have something to feed on. So you just, no matter how much you've castigated this being, or you've rehashed his event, the mind keeps doing it again and again and again because it doesn't actually want to get rid of the object of ill will it, it wants to actually have something to feel ill will about because it gives it a certain mooring post <coughs> um, the, other, the other one of course is sense desire where your mind picks up something you fancy or something you did in the past that you remember um, with, with some fascination or some fondness and you just pick that up and uh, it becomes exceptionally luminous and attractive. All the mind's possibility to feel pleasure gets projected onto this particular object. Uh, and it's, these both are hypnotic. They have a kind of trance-like effect and they, they capture the mind because they present 
some place of of a, of a kind of ghoulish <laughs> stability where you actually you're in, you know your mind isn't just dithering around or sinking it's got something to hold on to so that that, that comes out of this when you start to disengage from particular activities your mind swings first the way it, goes, it can go dull or restless and then it starts to find something to hang on to you know, so it goes dull, restless or just restless or just dull and then something comes up that it can actually feel held by even though that is ill will or sense desire so you get these, these hindrances occur like that and the fifth one is is doubt <coughs> which is um, not just an uncertainty in terms of in- information but a, a radical loss of assurance so it's not like it's today Thursday or Friday but what, are, what am I doing what, why, where am, what am I where am I what's my life about do I mean anything to anybody what's, you know but even much more than just the uh, intellectual ideas but a real sense of a, a loss of assurance a loss of confidence a lo- loss of centre mm. and this, uh, this again is a, a, a very powerful phenomenon it can actually become depression you know, it's, not just, it's not just a lack of information it can turn into such a vacuous sense that it becomes like a, a depression um, and this again is is because the mind hasn't actually uh, found a source of steady energy, which is really the basis of all of these. When you disengage the mind from external sense contact, where it's getting something to act and engage with, it loses that. Therefore, it seeks something internal to engage with. And first of all, it, it goes up and down kind of agitated or sleepy or swinging between the two and then it would tend to crystallize around an internally formed object a memory, perception, an idea, uh, a fantasy that either is injected with with negative or strongly um, attractive qualities so the mind then hangs on through these these strong feelings of, of dislike or attraction when it can't do that, it just falls into a hole, which is what doubt is. It's like when it, it, it can't actually, it doesn't, if it's not doing that, it would tend to just sink into a, into a sense of pointlessness, which is the, the, the doubt, or sometimes it just kind of fluctuates around that. The root problem of all of this is, is um, there are these, are, these are all called latent tendencies. They're, they're tendencies that are present in our systems uh, we have that, that proclivity where every one of us can produce um, anger or irritation um, it's a kind of normal fact of life that you know, a mouse can do that it doesn't mean a mouse is neurotic if a mouse is getting attacked by a cat it will produce some strong manifestations of ill will <laughs> if a mouse sees a bit of cheese it will you know the body is you're supposed to do that you know you're supposed to have these attraction repulsion experiences those potencies the problem is that um, the human being gets triggered into aversion and attraction uh, around purely purely around ideas 
or fantasies or imaginations or things that haven't occurred or things that might occur you know or what didn't happen today you know so we can create triggers the mind can create its own triggers uh, that then you know, and all this actually continually l- leaves the mind moored in terms of its own projections and imaginations uh, so it's this very very uh, the world of the hindrances is a, is a, a fantastic phantasmagorical and uh, confusing place because these experiences can be felt with extreme intensity and potency and brilliance and you open your eyes and you think where 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 have I been you know <laughs> suddenly it's it's like it's, it's 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 brilliant and yet it's actually gossamer thin you know where was that where was that dream you know uh, it has got no substance to it, and yet it has enormous power to move us um, and color and taint our world. So it's uh, these are this is, of course this is, a, this is a very so when we're clearing the hindrances, we're not just clearing away things we disapprove of. There's no point in just disapproving the hindrances; they don't go away through disapproval. Um, it's really you're doing something much more powerful than just uh, being becoming a nice person um, you're beginning to to check the habit of the mind to create phenomena to spin its own uh, webs so to get the mind to stop doing that you, you, you introduce it to something else so you don't need to remember create, proliferate, swing up and down, feel lost feel agitated you know there's an energy source here that you can connect to that uh, will give you a place to rest and this is what we find in um, body meditation it's not the only place you know so the, the normally there are, there are a range of, of entry points for meditation some of them we might say are more of a devotional basis such as recollection of the Buddha if you have a strong tendency in that way that can of course bring your mind out of the hindrances or loving kindness you reflect upon the kindness or generosity or compassion that's been shown to you in your life you know any any moment of it any day of it any person with that and then also you reflect on what you can you can offer others um, but sometimes both of these bases are lost because the mind is so entrapped it can't do that therefore the body remains a very most powerful and simple resource that is whatever uh, you know, is going on you've, you still breathe in and breathe out you know serial killers breathe in and breathe out you know <laughs> Even when you're asleep, you breathe in and breathe out. So it's it's you know as long as you're around, breathing in and breathing out is going to be available to you, a sense of body. And what I <coughs> sometimes I sense this this practice is rather um, not seen in the depth of it, in that we tend to say just focus on the movement of air, uh, although this is one way of doing it but it isn't actually um, something the Buddha didn't 
describe it that way. He didn't talk about watching the breath, for example. He didn't talk about focusing on the, the nostrils or the diaphragm. Um, he didn't talk about the breath. He talked about breathing. Breathing in, breathing out. So when you ask yourself, how do you know you're breathing? How do you know you're breathing? Just in the most obvious, simple way. What's breathing about? Why do we do it? Why does the body do it? It's about an energy change, isn't it? You breathe out, you clear out the stale stuff. You breathe in, you breathe in the bright stuff. There's an energy change that happens there. So the most fundamental experience that, the, that is being pointed to is this sense of clearing out the stale, bringing in the fresh. And it's exactly that's what happens when you breathe in and breathe out. You know, that's, that's why the body does it. The old stuff gets blown out, fresh stuff gets brought in. And in the, in the Eastern way of looking at things, the breathing, um, you know, prana, for example, pana, anapanasati, pana, prana is the yoga, is the term you may be familiar with, prana, means much more than air. Prana means a vital life force. So the Chinese word is qi. Qi, the vital life force, the breath of life. So it's not something that's just confined to the respiratory tract. It's a movement of life, a movement of, of life energy. Um, you know, it's got a much richer and wider um, connotation than just movement of air. So this is what you focus on. You focus on, if you like, your aliveness as, it, as you breathe in and breathe out. Your embodied aliveness as you breathe in and breathe out. And you start to recognize perhaps restrictions in the breathing. How it sort of, sometimes it seems to stick or it's shallow. And you realize this is why we have posture. You know, the idea of, of finding a correct sitting posture is not so that it, it looks nice and neat in the meditation hall, we're all kind of sitting there on a zafu's rigid, but that essentially it's a posture that allows your full life force to, to flow. You know, in, in where you're still, you're steady, and you're, the life force of your breathing is flowing through you. So when you consider posture, don't just look at it as a visual thing or is my back straight but just what allows your breathing to move through you most thoroughly, most fully from the base of the abdomen right up into the your temples, you know you get a whole sweep of it flushing through you so if your head's like that it's going to get blocked if you're sitting like that it's going to get blocked if you're too tight it's going to get blocked and you just start to feel how does your body work, you know so, um, getting in touch with the energy itself means that the, the mind has got an energy, a force of energy that's actually satisfying and steady and calm. So this essential loss of input, which causes the hindrances to arise or triggers it, you know, loss of something to hang on to, the mind starts to spin. You've got mind has got something to be with. And that, and the breathing itself will govern the mind. 
most uh, simplest piece of folk wisdom, you know, you're about to lose your temper, stop, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, count to ten. You know, because that, the breathing will govern, govern the mind. You know, um, so, rather than having the mind govern the breath with its ideas of meditation or its ideas of being mindful or its ideas of getting good at mindfulness of breathing or its ideas about developing samadhi or its ideas about you know, so you kind of impose Buddhism onto your breathing <laughs> just get your breathing right and let Buddhism take care of itself you know. so you actually want to lead from the breath, lead from the body, and let the body govern the mind, rather than impose ideas of the breathing onto the onto. What? How do you know your breathing? How does it happen? You, you study it. How can you make it fullest, most comfortable? How much do you need in breathing? By and large, people by and large people tend to both over breathe, that is, take too much in and breathe shallow. There's a kind of a breath that moves just from the top of the chest. Like a, and there's a we breathe too much. But we also just breathe from the maybe from the middle of the chest up. It doesn't go very deep. So ordinary person. I don't know about you. Um, so sometimes it's very useful to be to just even you know deliberately tweak it. Say what happens if you hold your breath stop breathing where do you feel the pressures build up and then start to just release first of all in your belly and let the air be pulled in so you start to, to you know work with your breathing pattern work with your so that you you can find because um, you get conditioned into into um, ineffectual breathing And uh, then you can begin to notice how when you get... Uh, first of all, studying the breathing is very useful for the mind because you, the mind has got something to focus on. Step at a time. It governs the energy of the mind. It captures the interest and it has this calming, steadying effect. if you stay with that or you, you have that reference you can begin to see what happens when the mind slips away and it, you know, you're suddenly you're in a thought process of some kind and you can actually feel the energetic shift from breathing into thinking you know you're breathing, breathing and it's steady and then perhaps the mind slipped away you know it wasn't that wasn't strong enough so it slips away and it, it forms it forms a thought and suddenly it gets very busy you know there's a shift from something that's quite steady slow and deep to something that's busy and spinning you get a thought form uh, and then just whenever you whenever that happens as it happens many times 
um, just check, stop, wait. Try to really take a photograph of that experience. Not the topic of the thought, but the energy. So you begin to translate thoughts and emotions into energy. Like, this is just busy. This is speedy. This is surging. This is, you know, feels like that. And then drop the topic, go to the energy, and then breathe out. So you just release that energy back into the body. That's the, if you like, the simple model of um, sustaining mindfulness of breathing. And it undercuts the hindrance because it's not, essentially you suspend approval or disapproval or analysis or justification or any of the kind of psychological ways in which we can respond to hindrances there, go and feel annoyed, disappointing, despairing, whatever it is, you, 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 which actually has another energy, gets another mental energy gets placed on top of that. You truncate that process of analysis or judgment and just go back to the feeling, the felt energy of that, and then feel the energy of the body, the energy of the breathing, and let the energy of the breathing draw the mind back. And so you continually empty the mind's energy back into the body, and you fill the mind with the energy of the body. So this is how um, gradually uh, mindfulness of breathing gets established, and it it um, starves, it, it, it captures the hindrances. Just as a, uh, a small stream running down a hill gets captured by a big river, so it may be running one way, the big river comes along and just captures it, sweeps it away. This is so it is that mindfulness of breathing, if it's fully developed, <coughs> captures all these various torrents and streams and outflows that are going in different directions, captures them and sweeps them along, captures all their all their water, all their energy and sweeps it along. So every time that you release a hindrance into the breathing, the breathing captures that energy. Uh, and so the breathing gets, the breath energy gets brighter and deeper. So this is the way in which we um, cultivate the cessation of the hindrances for the development of samadhi.